Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 21. Today we're looking at the counter-instinctive practice of gratitude. And we're looking at the profound, life-changing, healing qualities that gratitude has. And I'm saying counter-instinctive practice deliberately because I think for most of us, it doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. It really is. You know, when they talk about spiritual practices, (laughs) the word practice, you know, we have to learn how to do so many of these things that Jesus teaches. It just does not come naturally to us. There's a wonderful line in the Psalms that says, I think it's Psalm 34 that says, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that line came to me last week. And as I was thinking about it, wondering what it meant, I thought, you know, I haven't really tasted to see that God is good. I haven't really paused for much of anything. I mean, I feel like I've been a bit like uh, Martha, you know, Martha and Mary, the t- remember the two sisters? And uh, Jesus said, Martha, you're busy, you're running around, you're accomplishing, you're doing, take a lesson from your sister Mary, who's spending time listening, being, learning, enjoying. Take a lesson from your sister Mary, delighting, you know? In other words, I thought, I haven't really stopped to taste and see that the Lord is good or anything else, you know? And I mean that literally too, in a way. I know when I stand to eat breakfast, I need to slow down and stop. And I think that one of the challenges of life is is to not live on automatic pilot. One of the challenges of life is to not live this way, living each day without truly enjoying it. It seems like it's possible to live in such a way that we can end up uh, ticking off things that we want to accomplish, tasks that we want to finish. We can easily move from one event to the other, get up in the morning, see to the children, go to work, come home, make the dinner, get the groceries, pay your bills, home care, look after the house. It's all good stuff. There's nothing wrong with it, right? It's all good stuff. It's all a part of life. They're all things that need to be done. But here's the thing. Is it enjoying life? Is it delighting in life? Is it fully appreciating all that God has given us? I don't think so. I don't think so. And Jesus teaches that we're missing out when we live life this way. Jesus would say, that's a life that's concerned about the cares of this world. And God has much more for us, much, much more, as we'll see in our passage today. And we're looking at a passage from the Gospel of Luke. And this is the healing. It's called the healing of the ten lepers, Luke 17. So the story is, the narrative is, is that Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem And remember with these stories, we want to see ourselves in these stories uh, as quickly as possible because they're always about us. It's not just about some healing that took place centuries ago. So we have this narrative, the story of 
Jesus is going to Jerusalem, his disciples are with him, and the story is is that ten lepers, on the way there, ten lepers are cured of their leprosy, ten leave Jesus' presence praising God, but only nine of them, nine of them, let's let's put it this way, nine of the lepers don't take all God has for them. They receive the healing, which is awesome, which is great, not to be diminished. But nine of them settle for less. Nine of them go on their way happy. They go back to their families. They go back to normal life. They're no longer ostracized. They're no longer living in the leper colony. But, but there is something missing. The nine who missed The second blessing caught my attention this week because the nine really didn't do anything wrong. In fact, they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And I'm interested in the nine lepers here because I think that the nine are like the majority of people, which means that the majority of us are not receiving all God has for us. So here's the account. The account tells us in verse 12 that 10 lepers call out to Jesus. Okay, they have to call out to him because, of course, in those days, lepers would live in leper colonies and they would be segregated from the rest of society so they don't actually come up face to face. They have to keep their distance. Jesus is walking to the city with his disciples. These 10 lepers call out to him. And they call out, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus answers them by saying, Go and show yourself to the priest. Which might not make that much sense to us, but Jesus is instructing them to go and show themselves to the priest because it was this is common practice to have the priest check to see if you were disease-free. That was the way that things were done in the ancient days. That if you had a skin disease, if you were free from that skin disease, you would have to go to the priest to make sure you were completely well so that you could go back into your community. So they're really preventing, this was an ancient way of uh, preventing disease. Now, it's interesting to note that at this point in the story, they're not healed. They're instructed to go and show yourself to the priest. So they leave Jesus, they make their way to the priest, which is all very commendable because they're all trusting Jesus enough to do what he asked them to do, right? So, I mean, somebody says, go and show yourself to the priest. You're not healed yet, and yet you take their word for it. You trust what they say is true, and you leave and you go to the priest. So someone who didn't trust him wouldn't go on a journey to see the priest, right? When he was still leprous. So they all believe. And when we talk about believing in God, we're talking about trusting the, the, the word believe, the word faith, the word trust, they're interchangeable. I think it's easier to talk about trusting in God 
rather than believing or even in having faith. I think that the trust is easier for us to grasp what's what the faith life is about because we know what it is to trust a person or not, right? So the text tells us that in verse 14, as they went, they were made clean. As they went, they were made clean, right? It's a small detail in the story, but there is an important lesson here. As they began to walk to see the priest, as they took the step of faith or trust, the healing begins to happen. And so much of life is like this. Uh, it's when we take the first step, then the healing kicks in, right? We don't wait until we feel like we can forgive before we forgive. Why? Because we might never, ever do it, right? We don't wait until we feel like we can let someone or something go before we start to do it, right? We begin in spite of what our emotions tell us. We don't wait until we're without fear before we do or say something that requires courage. Why? Because we'd never do it, right? So we move ahead in faith, we move ahead in trust, and God meets us in the process. It's a difficult lesson because it's so unfamiliar to us. It's like, you mean I don't have to do what I feel? You mean I don't have to follow my emotions? You mean my, my feelings don't have to uh, lead the way? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a radical thought. It really is. St. Paul would say, yeah, it's called walking in the Spirit. It's called walking in the Spirit where you're not dominated by uh, your emotions, your personality, really. So back to the healing story. With uh, no evidence of uh, anything changing, the, all ten of them go to the priest, and by the time they arrive, they're healed. No doubt, overcome with joy. They're all allowed to return to their families, and we never hear from them again, except for this one leper who doesn't return to his loved ones. Just this one. This one healed leper is compelled to return and thank Jesus. And he happens to be a Samaritan, which these are always the ones in the Jesus stories. They always represent the outsider, the wrong race, the wrong religion, the one you'd least expect. You know, if you lived in Jesus' day, you wouldn't be expecting him to commend a Samaritan. It's like, him? What can he possibly teach us? You know how every generation and every culture have scapegoats that they don't like, particular uh, races or religions. Well, it was the Samaritans in Jesus' day. So this Samaritan comes up to Jesus and he prostrates himself at his feet in verse 16. And he thanks him. And of course, Jesus uses this as a teaching moment because all the other disciples are around and he says, where are the nine? 
there were 10 of you, right? There were 10 of you that were healed, but only this foreigner returns. Hmm. Get up, Jesus said. Get up. Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. It's like, really? Well, I thought he was already well, right? I thought they were already all healed, all ten of them. Yes, they were. But it's the one who returns to give thanks, Jesus said, is well. Now, this is a fascinating uh, point here, a line here, because the word in the Greek New Testament for well is wholeness. So the others were cured of their disease, But this one, Jesus said, has wholeness. This one is somehow more more complete. This one who came back has received a deeper healing, a healing that's beyond the skin disease, amazing and wonderful as that is. It's a deeper kind of wellness, for the want of a better word. There's something different about him. He's not like the others. He's not like the others. And he receives something that the others didn't receive. Your faith has made you well, or saved you, is another way of saying it. And the word saved is, again, it's that New Testament word meaning wholeness, as opposed to brokenness, let's say, right? Now, I mentioned that the others, the other nine, didn't really do anything wrong. And I think that this is an important point. Uh, They did what Jesus told them to do. Uh, Jesus didn't say, go to the priest and then come back and thank me. This is not a lesson on good manners, right? This has nothing at all to do with good manners about coming back and saying thank you. It's nothing like that. Jesus said, go to the priest, which they did, and then they were healed, But the one who gave thanks to Jesus, the one who returned, didn't give thanks because he was told to. He did it because that's who he was. There's something about this man. He had a well-cultivated heart of gratitude. And because he had that heart of gratitude... He ended up with more than all the others. Isn't that interesting? Your faith has made you well. Your gratitude has brought a wholeness to your life that other people don't have. This heart of gratitude. This heart of gratitude gave him a different quality of life. A completeness, a wholeness, a wellness for the lack of a better word. It's unusual. You don't often see this with people. And when you do, you recognize it because they have a different energy around them altogether. They glow with a different sort of energy. This man's gratitude, his thankful heart, set him apart from the rest. It's unusual. It's unusual. Because it seems as though we people, not all of us, but the majority... We mull over and concentrate and think about what's wrong with life. We concentrate on what is incomplete. 
We can have 20 wonderful things happen, but it's the one negative or hurtful or disappointing piece that captures our attention. And I think that one of the lessons of this teaching is that gratitude can bring such a change to the quality and happiness of our lives that it has potential to repair us in ways previously unexperienced. It has such potential to repair us. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. Gratitude has potential to turn our lives around, change us in profound ways. It can restore us, really. It's a deeply healing spiritual practice. And I, I'm using the word practice intentionally. Most of us have to learn how to do this. It's hard. It is hard. It is counterintuitive. Counterinstinctive. It's not easy because uh, the pattern of unreflective, busy doing and accomplishing uh, the way I lived last week, that has to be disrupted. That automatic pilot, you know, automatic pilot life, that has to stop before we can pause, before we can recognize and taste and see that God is good and I have so much. Yeah, The pattern of dwelling on what isn't going well has to be interrupted. And any time we speak about changing our minds, we know it's going to be challenging because uh, for many of us, our default isn't gratitude. So for many of us, it's something that we have to learn. Unless we're more like the Samaritan in the text who has this thankful heart well cultivated. And I know that I have on occasion met people like this and they just glow with a radiance and a beauty because they've practiced this for many, many years. But like all spiritual work uh, that leads to healing, we have to begin before we feel it. And this is actually a wonderful week to be intentional about the power of gratitude. Not because it's Thanksgiving, by the way. Not really thinking about that. I'm thinking that this is a good time to cultivate a thankful heart because there's been so much suffering in our state of California. And the fires and the smoke and the people who have lost their lives and the people who have lost loved ones and they still don't know where they are and the animals that have been uh, in danger and killed. And it's almost like, you know, when you're breathing in all this air, it's almost like you feel like, as St. Paul so poetically stated, the creation groans. Yeah, you know, there's just certain times things happen. Sometimes we become acutely aware that the creation groans in travail, waiting for redemption. That was the way St. Paul spoke about it. It was like, it's almost like he's saying, you know, sometimes we become acutely aware that we live in a broken world and not all is well. 
Or as we say, the kingdom hasn't come yet. You know how we always pray that line in the Lord's Prayer, like your kingdom come, your will be done? Well, we pray it. We pray it because it's not always happening, right? Because we see the suffering and we see the loss. And we see the creation groaning. And we're waiting for that redemption, that help to come and restore us and bring us back. Gratitude, healing balm for the wounds of creation. St. Paul was also the one that said, in everything give thanks. It's like, really? In everything? Yeah, yeah, in everything. Because our eyes are not set on what is wrong. Yeah, we look to the one who's faithful and never changes. That's who we look to. That's what it means to believe in a good God. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. Not on what's wrong. Not on what you don't have. All of that's redirected. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the perspective that leads to wholeness. It's not denial. It's recognizing that there's another one in the picture that can come and help and restore and reestablish and bring healing and turn us around and stand us up on our feet again. Gratitude. Thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher and we've been looking at the amazing healing power of gratitude. There's the heart cry. There's the prayer. God, help me see all that you have given me. Help me fix my eyes on you, not on what is incomplete, but on all the goodness and mercy that you have given me in my life. Join me again next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher.